tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Thanks, Pat. Uh, 1800 007 to speak to Doc. It won't cost you anything to make that call. Uh, the text and WhatsApp 083 311 Listener on to say, Hi, Fran. I have a daughter living in Perth. Uh, last week, she filled in a questionnaire online in relation to the vaccine. Uh, she is asthmatic. Uh, she was given a date for her first jab uh, on the 7th of April. She's just 29. I'm double her age with an underlying res- respiratory uh, condition and attending a clinic uh, once yearly and to date have heard nothing about the vaccine. I agree with those men. The government need to get their finger out and get everybody vaccinated. We're sick of listening to all the excuses. And that kind of sums up really what's coming into us uh, today on 083 311 Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors is with me. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. Uh, you described what you're going to give us today as bits and bobs, uh, John. Yeah. I, I, I love yeah. that. <laughs> I was tidying my desk. Um, I tried to limit the amount of room I'm using because when you're at home you can throw things all over the place so I was trying to tidy my desk the other day and I was thinking of all the bits and bobs of things that I've said I'd talk about on the radio and uh, I mean it's amazing actually how many of them are kind of relevant in the context of COVID Mm. but Mm. one of the bits and bobs uh, that kind of struck me is and it kind of will impact on a lot of business people the whole question of leases because you know if you walk down through O'Connor Street or any other street in Glanville now you see quite a lot of vacant property and a lot of those properties would have been subject to leases and the question that is kind of coming from people on both sides of the equation both the landlord and the tenant is what exactly is the status of leases, you know, so if, you know, if you get into difficulty with a lease, you know, what are your obligations? Can you just hand over the keys and walk away kind of thing? And the problem, of course, is that you can't because mm. you remember the problem we had during the, the, when we had the crash, when rents were skyrocketed high and then suddenly the crash came and people ran into trouble mm. and then they went checking their leases and found that there was no downward um, mm. clause. And that... Grafton Street was a great period. example of that, wasn't it? To those oh, a- astronomical yeah. Um, leases. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the thing is that, you know, there are... And, of course, on the other side of it is, if you do, if you're a landlord, which quite a lot of landlords are doing, is they're kind of making arrangements with the tenants. Under those circumstances, it's good old plug for the, the lawyers... You know, you need to you need to put it down on paper. You need to make sure that it's correctly uh, documented to exactly what you're doing. Because if you don't, then you leave yourself open to a possibility on both sides of the equation that the thing could be misread or you might fall foul of the legal system in terms of, you know, it's a funny thing for me to say, but, you know, it's quite incredible when you get locked into the legal system. The major, major consideration a lot of the time is 
not necessarily what the end result is going to be, but what's the cost of the, the end cost, result yeah. going to be. Mm. And the cost can be, you know, it's not just, as you and I have often discussed, it's not just money, it's the stress of litigation, mm. it's the uncertainty of litigation, and the stress of outcome. And it's very hard. I remember when I started first, I was a very brave young solicitor. If somebody asked me an opinion, I'd give them an opinion based on my deem the law to be, if you know what I mean. But as you get a bit older, you suddenly mm. realise it, there's no definitives when you're dealing in, course, in any yeah. area, in mind law. But are, are you, just for clarity, John, are you saying that if well, somebody comes to an arrangement with, with, with somebody in terms of a lease and, and, and you might give them a downgrading of payments for X amount of time, yeah. you should document that because it, will, it could come back and bite you, is that it? Correct, because if, like the question is on what basis was it downgraded and for what period of time mm. and what were the terms and you know, and the problem with all of that is that if you come out of it at the end of the day, you may have two different views as to what those terms and conditions were. Right. And when when all is said and done, the lease is the document. The lease is the document that governs your relationship with the tenant and the landlord's relationship with the tenant. So if you're going to change it and vary it, document it is what I'd say. You've heard me saying this so many thing, times about so many things. When there was a case, actually, one of the bits and bobs that I came across was there was a case, and again, it's always the human element of these that really get you. I mean, it was a case of, uh, you know, a couple that started a restaurant uh, in Galway and, uh, you know, obviously very successful for quite a number of years. They then incorporated, as in they set up a company. They then did what's usually advised, you know, you lease to the company. So you hold on to the asset yourself. And then you lease the company pays the rent. Uh, things didn't. Things started getting a bit um, difficult in around 1987, which is the last time we had a major recession. And they folded the company and went back as kind of sole traders. Mm. They then, they then their son came into the business. He then took over. He then formed a company. The parents continued to own the assets, which was leased to the company. And this all ended up in the high court because the company that the son owned went into liquidation. And when the, when the company went into liquidation, the legal formalities of it were that the legal formalities, the end result of the legal formality was that the court said, if you look at the lease, the lease says that if the tenant is in arrears for rent, the landlord is entitled to walk in and take possession of the premises, which is what, which is what they did. But the liquidator argued that that wasn't the case, wasn't the law, and there was a huge amount of correspondence between them that went on for, since the, from 2019 to right up to 2021. And the incredible thing or one of the quotes if I can if I can find it mm. one of the quotes that the judge made was he talked about Hamlet um, and uh, the fact of the matter was that the main player in it all, the son didn't give any evidence in the High Court at all it was, the whole thing was being driven by the liquidator uh, and the liquidator effectively came looking for the lease, number one, and number two, because the premises had been relet mm. to other tenants. And, you know, again, back to the whole point that if at the time when it was being wound up, it was being wound up with the agreement of all the parties, with all the right paperwork and all that, it might you might have avoided all of that. But 
at the end of the day, the interesting thing about it was that the the High Court judge found against the liquidator, found in favour of the elderly couple who owned the property and penalised the liquidator in cash. So wow. you, can, you can imagine. But I mean, again, interesting. But go back to the point that I'm making, which is that, you know, if you're going to do something, you need to be careful about how you do it. We were talking about last week about making a will, and mm. I, you know, I'm always sort of just ravaging on about making wills. Mm. But I mean, on the case last week, you were looking at a situation where it was 25 years on from when the will was made. The farmer left shares to his favourite mm. nephew. Turned out there was a big argument about the shares because the will was never reviewed or revised over the time, and it ran into two. Two problems. Number one, neither did the farmer anticipate that his siblings would die in the intervening period, which they did. And some of the benefits that would have gone to the children of those siblings didn't go that way because, again, the will wasn't yeah, so drafted y- y- the way it should have been. Yeah, so all of that has to evolve along the way and you have to keep track, I suppose, of, of what your wishes uh, are. Is there any way that you can build into a lease in the first place, John, um, difficulties that might occur during the course of the lease, if you know what I mean? Yes, yes, but you see, uh, and again, this is probably talking against... Uh, uh, my colleagues to a certain extent but you see the problem with leases is that they're standard documents that are being used over and over again Right. and a bit like COVID nobody ever anticipated COVID and nobody ever anticipated during the good halcyon days of when we were all everything was really rosy that Mm. things would go wrong so by and large a lot of agreeing leases and agreeing contracts is about trying to think of the what if scenario what if as you say Mm. Are you going to cover all the what-ifs? But uh, certainly the lease will cover, for example, bankruptcy. I mean, there's another bit and bob that I came across, mm. which we've often talked about, the whole bankruptcy scenario and the family home. There was a case in front of the High Court um, on the family home, and it was very short, brief, succinct judgment by the judge of the High Court where there was about, maybe it was 14 million old originally, maybe that's an exaggeration, but something like that, it was millions that were owed by the uh, bankrupt, went into bankruptcy. The only asset that was left after the bankruptcy was the family home. And under the bankruptcy legislation, um, you may remember me saying at some stage that with the family home, as opposed to any other asset in bankruptcy, Mm. you must get the consent of the High Court. Mm. And the question is always often asked and very frequently asked, you know, what would happen if, and people will often ask that question, what would happen if that situation arises? Will Will the High Court grant an order for sale? And in this particular instance, uh, what the, like, there was a lot of kind of reasons that the bankrupt said that it couldn't be offered for sale because there was all sorts of practical problems with the title, etc., etc. But what the judge said, in essence, was that you're balancing in a bankruptcy situation, unless there are exceptional circumstances, the court won't, will grant an order for sale. But uh, what, the, what was interesting, or, or the thing that caught my attention on was that it was a long, it's a long-standing practice of the bankruptcy uh, issue of signing a bankruptcy with the kind of the head person who deals with bankruptcy. There's a kind of a standing practice out there that 
you would always offer the share of the bankrupt back to the bankrupt or to a family member, if you know what I mean, mm. which fair enough, as you might expect. And that, that was always a practice. But the High Court judge in this instance says that that's not just a practice, but that's a principle. You must offer it back, which at least reassures the situation to a certain extent. But on the other side of the coin, he said quite clearly, unless there are exceptional circumstances, of course, like all great legal cases, he didn't really tell you what those exceptional circumstances right. were. So you have to watch that space to see what exactly those circumstances are, you know. It's but, interesting, isn't it, Jim? And yeah. um, as, as we emerge from COVID as well, will there be a lot of issues that, I mean, you, you mentioned leases there. Will there be a lot of things that people will have to pick up on uh, again, do you think? And I'm thinking of stuff like insurance, for example, John. Mm. You know, well, the big the big thing about insurance, uh, Fran, which which you have, it begs the question, of course, as to what exactly is going to happen with insurance, because during these COVID times, we've had major changes. I mean, I was just reading, which I cover one of the days. I was just reading proposals by the expert group on medical negligence, and they have detailed proposals as to how you could improve how medical negligence cases are being dealt with, mm. all of which you would hope would see the light of day. But what has certainly seen the light of day is the personal injury guidelines that have issued, and apparently it's at its second reading now. So that's going to make law. And I'd be very curious if we put it in our diary, you and I, to discuss this again in maybe two years' time mm. and mm. check and see has it had the impact that has been kind of up there as the reason for all of these changes. Because one of the things that you often look at, and one of the major changes that I've seen in the law, as in in the kind of practical application of law over the last couple of years that has been hugely significant, is the issue of costs and how costs are dealt with by the courts. The courts are much more, I mean, when I looked at the list of cases that I had there to try and either read or shred, if you know what I mean. But mm. on the ones that I that I was not going to read, I could see a, a serious trend there in terms of a court saying, well, wait a minute here, although the general rule is that if you win, you get your cast, if you don't fully win, and if you only if you only win 80% or 60%, then you're only going to get 60 or 80% of your cast. And then look at that liquidation case where the costs were awarded against yeah. the liquidator personally, not against the liquidator as representing the company, but against them personally. So, and there's a huge amount of, not a huge amount, that's probably an exaggeration, but there's a considerable amount of cases now where the courts are saying, where's the second year now? You know, you took this case, you were, you were on a flyer, you, you were hoping you might win it, but in fact, you, you've lost it. And the, the general kind of feel historically was that if there was some kind of benefit in the case to the public at large that you'd get home on that which is still a principle but it still has to be proven but the other one and the other one that has been really significant that I've noticed over the last two or three years is estate cases so in other words people disputing wills mm. and people making applications under you know as children of the deceased that they had been properly catered for on that. Those type of cases, now not the latter but the former, the one against the contesting the will, it used to be the case in the past that you could just contest the will and that would be it. Uh, but now 
over the last number of years, the courts have been looking at it. Wait a second now, you're entitled to contest the will under this ground, that ground, and that ground, but not under these other ones. So therefore, we won't give you a percentage of a cost. Or worse than that, if you've lost on all points, you pay the cost and you pay the cost of the estate. So in other words, instead of them coming out of the estate, they actually, you know, they get paid for by the person who had no basis to contest. So to a certain extent, the logic of it is that you're trying to uh, make sure that people don't take cases that there's no basis for in that they're trying to force people. Right, you know, because like, and you gave us examples in the past of people who lost everything that they, yeah. they, they were granted in a will just by ending up in the yes. High Court. Correct, correct. You know, and, so and, that's, and that's a lot of the logic of yeah. what you're looking at here. Is I, that I think there will no be a lot of challenges as well. I'm just reading in, in, in the paper today, John, I mentioned it at the top of the programme that insurance companies now calling they've been calling to treat consumers fairly because it's emerging now that people are being turned down for mortgage protection, for example, if they have had COVID at some point or other. Yes. Now, to, to the layman, to me looking at that, that would be seriously up for challenge, I would imagine. Well, you see, I suppose it all begs the absolute question is that if you can force a change, like if if you're involved in an accident tomorrow and I, and I as state said to you, well, actually, I think that people get too much, so I'm going to reduce what you might get. I'm going to set the f- a figure for you, and I'm going to say that in your particular case, there's a limit to what you're going to get by way of compensation. And then on the other hand, reducing all that, then you've got uh, another entity that, if you like, makes money out of insurance, etc. And you have no teeth to say to them, well, wait a second here now, if we've made all these changes, if we've reduced the level of compensation, if we've reduced the level of cost, if we've modernised the system to make it all more efficient, why why, and to what extent and to what effect are we doing that if that doesn't roll out? Because a lot of people will, will say, I think you know, claims are too much, but a lot of people will also say that people are entitled to compensation if they've mm. been injured. So the reality of it is, there, the middle ground, and, and, or the, the third part of that argument is we will all argue that if somebody is making money today and is saying that, well, actually, I have to charge a much higher fee because I have so my, my overheads are very high, if I come along and reduce your overhead by 50%, why are you not reducing your fees by 50%? And that's the argument against insurance, co- uh, against insurance companies all of uh, the time. John, we look forward to the rest of your bits and bobs <laughs> next no week, problem. if that's okay. <laughs> Listen, really all good right. to talk Thanks, to you, John. Man. Take it easy. How about you now? That's the great John Lynch there of Lynch Solicitors in Clonmel. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie